morning, everybody. Crappy, wet, wintry Mondays. And welcome to the News Agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by my fellow Mirror columnist, Darren Lewis. Morning, Darren. Morning, morning. Uh, the, what, what are you drinking? Uh, oh, it's a cold, wet. It should be gin, but it's a cup of tea. Um, I hope you've all turned your clocks back, everybody. Otherwise, you'll be wondering why we're an hour late. Uh, and thank you for getting yours, <laughs> Darren, because obviously you're here on time. Now, this is the People's Paper Review. So get into the comments. Ask us your questions. We'll do our best to answer them for you. Those of you listening later on podcasts will just have to wait for the COVID inquiry to report what we already knew, won't you? So what have we got for you today? Well, the mirror has splashed on the death of Friends star Matthew Perry at the age of 54 after apparently drowning in his hot tub following a long history of addiction and health problems. There's the full details in today's paper and lots of tributes, and it's very much worth reading them to learn there's far more about this guy than just the role of Chandler Bing. But inside the paper, there's a few things I want to discuss today, which I think will be setting the agenda for the rest of the week. Um, and the first is on page 17, where, Darren, there's warnings of yet more bad weather and flooding coming in. Now, this comes on top of Storm Babette, which, of course, was already going to keep some people out of their homes until Christmas. Many more simply are unable or unwilling to return home. I suppose the question is, Darren, are these rain events and storms absolutely normal for this time of year and we're just a generation of snowflakes who can't cope? <laughs> well, in a word, yes. Uh, but, but obviously we've talked a lot and done a lot in the newspaper about climate change. Much to say, it's good that you have predicated this conversation uh, with obviously the awful news about Matt Perry and also everybody is well aware of global events as well. And they care about those events too. But obviously, this is going to affect us. I mean, the storms that are being predicted by the Met Office are going to be across down south where I live. Um, and thousands of homeowners will be um, as concerned as those affected by a storm Babette were as well. Um, and we have talked all about climate change. Just to give you some of the details, Storm Kieran. It's going to, it's on course to sweep in from the Atlantic on Wednesday and Thursday. Um, the Mets say that it's likely to bring strong winds, heavy rain, the risk of flooding across southern England and Wales. Um, and sometimes we talk about, you know, well, maybe we should have the infrastructure to do this and that. But it's, sometimes you can't fight nature. And it is just a question of being prepared for what's going to happen so that we can cope with it the best way we can. Yeah, now if you're living in one of the areas that's got a flood alert or something and they're being warned to get out, I would suggest that you do actually get out if at all possible. Mike says, it's hope to be hope the storm is coming from the right direction this time, otherwise Therese Coffee won't have a clue what to do. Um, <laughs> What do you think, everybody? Are you concerned about increasing uh, intensity or, or frequency of storms? Do you think this is just absolutely normal and it's just Mother Nature doing what she does? Because one of the things here, Darren, is that, yes, it is coming from the west. It's coming across the Atlantic, this storm, storm Kieran. But one of the problems that we've got at the moment on planet Earth is rapidly intensifying storms. So with hurricanes, for example, down by the equator, when they when they form over warm water, they pull warm air and warm water up into the hurricane as the, the storm forms. And that in turn pulls up from the ocean depths a funnel of cold water behind it. 
right? So when the hurricane is formed, it just sort of naturally cuts off because there's no more warm water coming through. And the hurricane whizzes off and does its thing. And it has a, a finite shape. And we can see them form maybe two weeks before they actually hit. There's loads of warning about them. Morning to Zero from Johannesburg. Nice to see someone from different different hemisphere. They have cyclones and um, different things, of course. But what happens is, um, at the moment, what we're getting, there was a storm, a uh, hurricane rather, in Mexico last week, and the hurricane formed, poured the warm water up. But because the sea temperature is so much warmer now, the, wa the water it was pulling up from underneath was also warm. And so you had a, something that was a tropical storm one day with winds of 50 mile an hour, and it turned into a category five hurricane almost overnight, winds of 130, 140 miles an hour, um, it had no warning, hit Mexico with devastating consequences because this exponential just foomph of hurricane that suddenly appeared. And of course, these storms that come across the Atlantic in the in the correct and Therese Coffee approved manner are the tail end of those hurricanes over mm. on the US on the eastern seaboard. So if they're more powerful and wetter in the US, they're going to have they're going to be correspondingly more serious when they get here, aren't they? We are going to have more rain. Do you know what, what what's good is that you have been as invested in the meteorological uh, news updates <laughs> as I have. <laughs> I love that. I, I could sit here listening to you for hours because I you know, I've been listening to it and watching it, and I was. Um, listening to the Deputy Chief Meteorologist, Chris Almond, he was talking overnight about the effects of what you've just described just there. And he was saying, look, the winds associated with Storm Kieran, uh, they're likely to be around 80 mile an hour. Now, in the context of what you've been saying, actually, we might get off lightly because obviously it's far worse uh, over there. But there'll be 80 mile an hour across the south of England, small risk of summer exposed being up to 90 miles an hour. And that even inland, the winds could be as much as 50 or 60 mile an hour. Um, and again, I mentioned Storm Babette before, you know, it's important because there are obviously infinitely more seriously, there are the, the, the seven deaths at least and mm. uh, lots of people left homeless due to the flooding. And we know that last night, uh, Sunday night, if you're watching this at any other of, of, of the week that there were 73 flood warnings still in place uh, including in the South Downs in the Wye Estuary um, and 176 flood alerts which are uh, issued of course when flooding is thought possible so um, we are in a difficult moment right now there are still yellow warnings in place in London the southeast and Wales and eastern Scotland every day until Thursday. So um, it is very much a case of being prepared for what's going to happen. Uh, and as you say, if it is the case that you are particularly concerned, then maybe see if there is somewhere else that you can go. Well, exactly. And some people can't. Of course, one of the one of the poor ladies who died last week was housebound and drowned mm. in her own living room, basically, because the water came in so quickly. And it does seem that if you want to be prepared for this kind of thing, in some places, what you actually need is a boat and, you know, a method of making fire by yourself, because that's where, where you're going to end up. Uh, Maria says, good morning from, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, South Wales. Uh, morning. Um, but what do you think, everybody? Have, have we got anybody out there? who has been victim of these floods or who knows someone who has been because and maybe even Susie, maybe even someone from who, who is involved or connected with the, the the emergency services because we know that the police and the fire services they were stretched to the limit 
in places like County Durham in Sussex. And I've got friends in Cornwall, they were really badly hit. And the stories as well that we've heard so far, roofs being ripped off houses, cars and, uh, and, and properties being damaged. Uh, there are lots of uh, frightening stories to tell. And, and just as you've been saying, you know, reminders that sometimes you think, well, I'm just going to try and wait it out and, and it can't be that bad. But the damage that has been wreaked so far has been quite extensive. So we do need to take care of ourselves primarily and worry about our property second. Exactly. People think if they stay at the house, they can somehow sort of save it. And mm. no, you can't. It's it's a river. There's nothing you can do. Um, so we've got all these these situations now with um, there are many, many people, of course, still out of their homes. There are people who have been told they're not going to go back in before Christmas. And that's just from the first storm. We're, now it's only October. <laughs> we've still got November and December to go. Uh, and we're on the second big storm of the winter, it seems like. Now, 80 miles an hour winds, for those of you worrying about that, I want to put this up in context. The great storm of 1987, which wasn't a hurricane, but everyone called it the hurricane, uh, was winds of about 120 or 130, which is why it still gets called a hurricane, because they are hurricane speed winds. It just, it wasn't, it wasn't the shape of a hurricane by the point it got to us. Just to back you up, the Tornado and Storm Research Organization, uh, that I, I, such a junkie. <laughs> I'm so sad. But, um, and I obviously shouldn't be laughing. This is very serious for, for, for us and a lot of people. But um, they, they, I did, I saw a piece they were, where they were talking about doing an investigation on Sunday and found that in the UK, there had been what they describe as a definite tornado hitting Little Hampton. So, again, what you described earlier uh, and all the minutiae around why these uh, storms and hurricanes and tornadoes happen and how they happen and where they can impact. Um, we are seeing the impact here in the UK and just because we are in the UK, not somewhere tropical, it doesn't mean that we can't be hit in quite this, the same way. Thing, though, you know, in, for thousands of years, Britain has been at the end of the Gulf Stream it's been on the northwest tip of um, Europe. It's been at a reasonable latitude where we're not getting burned to a crisp every five minutes. It's been quite a good, it's been a very, very well, probably an optimum spot on the planet to be weather-wise. Uh, and, but now we have, we, our homes, our buildings, our roads, our drains, our computer infrastructure, our telecommunications, everything is designed to not have to cope with hurricanes, tornadoes, yeah. storms, floods, and the rest of it. And yeah. if we now do start to experience a milder version of what, you know, Mexico is suffering from horrifically and other parts of the world that are getting washed away entirely, if we have to suffer an nth of that, mm. our roofs are not going to be up to it. Our drainage is not going to be up to it. Multiple settlements have found that the, the system of getting the water off the hill and into the river and out to sea just isn't up to the job and it's not there mm. so what are we gonna have to do darren before we move on to the main story of the day <laughs> let's just sum this up quickly in the next 10 seconds are we gonna have to either have lots of proper storm drainage infrastructure improve our housing improve everything to get around this or are we just going to end up with abandoned settlements and everyone goes and lives on a hill well <laughs> It's quite interesting that you mentioned the great storm of the late 80s, because I remember at the time there was a lot of criticism of the meteorological 
agencies. Why couldn't you have predicted this? Why couldn't? Why did you get it so wrong? Obviously, there was one famous weather forecaster who, Michael at the Fish. time, yes, indeed, uh, Michael. Fish. I was trying to not mention him because I'd be showing my age, but there you go. Um, but <laughs> but we, we we've improved quite considerably in terms of infrastructure and being able to predict and uh, deal with well in advance this kind of thing which is why we have we are talking about this now so that people and publicizing it in the newspapers and across me, uh, digital media as well so that we can get people alert alive to it and prepared for it too what can we do I, i'm not quite sure we can do much given the severity of what we can expect and given what we've seen already um, all we can do is be sensible. I'm hoping the fact that I live near the top of... of, of, of you don't actually live next to Tower Bridge. You're not actually on the riverside as it is there well, in your background photograph. Thank you. Some are very well for me. Thank you very much. But I was thinking about you because you work from home. Do, are you in an area where you could be affected negatively yes. I'm, by in a, I'm in the Weald of Kent, which is just a big flat bowl in the middle of the North Downs and the South Downs where all the water goes. <laughs> Uh, and there is a river back behind me. I mean, it's far enough away that it probably won't get over here. And everything's so flat that if, if actually, if you do get serious flooding, what happens is it just sort of rises everywhere. The, the rivers don't flood. It's just that everywhere becomes part of the river. So the garden just gets wet at the moment. But we'll have to see how it goes, won't we? And obviously in years to come, if I move house again, I'm definitely going further up. Put it that way. Uh, and I think as, as what we're going to have to do as a nation, perhaps in the next sort of over the next few decades, is actually start with new builds. And when we have uh, planning permissions given for extensions and stuff, tie this into the regulations to start in the building regs to start saying you have to have proper storm drainage. You have to have, you know, better kind of stuff that is, is more attuned to dealing with the weather we're going to have coming at us over the next few decades, because we could hit climate, we could hit net zero tomorrow and we're still going to have this for decades. Mm. So need to get used to it in some way right thank you for that darren now we do need to move on one of the things which is going to be making a big noise this week and it's all you're going to hear probably is the covid inquiry because it has some very big guests on in the witness box this week we've got martin reynolds today martin, martin. organize the bring your own booze party we've got dominic cummings tomorrow good lord bring your popcorn uh, top civil servants everything else but bubbling under that and which isn't going to get a lot of attention but is probably going to end up at that point by the end of the week, I think, is another story, which is the ongoing problem with school buildings. Now, it's nothing to do with COVID, but perhaps it's indicative of exactly the same sort of attitudes and problems that we saw come to the fore with the pandemic. So, Darren, can you take us through this a little bit? It says that children are still learning from home, um, you know, uh, two months after we learned this was a problem. How is that even happening? Yeah, it's incredible. But as we know, as you know, and we'll talk later about uh, the test veterans, uh, the, the, the government are very good at uh, avoiding accountability. They're very slippery. They are very good at kicking cans down the road. And this is yet another example of that. It's a deep dive by our investigations editor, Nick Summerlad. He's been speaking to head teachers across the country, Susie, and they've been saying that, look, delays with the supply of temporary classrooms could affect some lessons until the start of the summer term which is ludicrous and also that that's july exactly exactly oh, i mean when you talk about kicking cans down the road how much worse can you get uh, nick's also been saying in that piece that you just flagged up there 
that thousands of pupils are going to be transported to separate schools for lessons. It's for, listen, for me, for our viewers, remarkable. Uh, some would say shameful that we've still got 29 schools, Susie, with reinforced aerated concrete, or as you've been saying, RAC, RAAC. Um, just for our viewers who don't know, um, so RAC was used in the 50s uh, to the 1990s, but it's now considered past its lifespan. So there's a risk it could be prone to sudden collapse if it isn't maintained correctly. Now, in those circumstances, it's incredible. Uh, uh, I'd say shameful again, you know, that so many schools have made bids for rebuilding money that have been turned down by the government over more than a decade now. Um, listen, you know what I think about the way that the government treats the public with contempt. And it's not surprising, Rishi Sunak, the prime minister, he cut funding, didn't he, for school rebuilding when he was a chancellor. Um, and we know that the government purports to care, but in reality doesn't care. It just gets away with what it can. And this is a really good piece by Nick because it affects our children, in some cases, grandchildren. And not just their, yes, very clearly their learning, but also their safety as well. What are the environments our kids are trying to learn going to look like over the next six months, eight months, 12 months. Yeah, so it looks like here, what we've got, this mirror investigation has found, here's some figures, everybody, okay? So 29 schools that have this rack in the buildings had their bids for rebuilding cash turned down by the government since 2010. So the Tories said, no, no, we can't rebuild your school. And that was 29 of them had that. Uh, at the moment, there are still 12 that are telling pupils to study at home. 12 schools. I mean, that's basically 12, depending on the size of the school, it could be somewhere between 1,200 and 12,000 pupils mm. that are studying, at least partly at home. Uh, an update about the number of schools that are affected by this is it's gone up by 46% since the figures were last published. It is now 214 schools across the country that have a problem with RAC that needs replacing. Um, and finally, we've got uh, 21 of those had projects about had had rebuilding projects underway. 21, that's 10 percent in total, had had rebuilding projects underway under the Building Schools for the Future program, which is brought in by Labour. But it was axed by the Tories in 2010, and those projects were cancelled when the Tories axed the scheme. Um, and it's just astonishing, really, that they, and there's obviously the other 29 have had something axed since then. Now Julie says, I guess they're not private schools, so in the Tories' eyes, they count for nothing. Literally, with this appalling government i think it's quite fair to say probably julie that if anybody's children are going to a school with rack they would say yes fix the damn roof please mm. whereas sunak's children um and jamie hunt's children and the other children in government as far as we know do not go to any of these schools wherever they do go it's not to one of these schools um so the schools don't have enough money, it would seem, according to this, to put temporary learning spaces in necessarily, which means that some are getting bussed out of the area or their parents are having to drive them. Uh, others are at home. Still more, of course, are in a building where some bits are thought to be safe and others definitely aren't. So they're being sort of shoved off in a corner and told you can work there sort of thing. Now, if anybody out there 
is either um, your kids are being learnt somewhere temporary or your children are getting bussed out or you're having to drive a longer school run, let us know. But more importantly, I think, even if your children are in a bit of the school that is, and I quote, thought to be safe, are you happy with that? Because I, if my if my child's school was thought to be safe, I'll get, well, um, that's not enough of a thought. I would like more than a thought, please. I would like it to actually, definitely, 100% be safe. And for the roof to definitely 100% still to be at the top of the building when I pick her up at 3.15. Um, now, Darren, unlike the pandemic, I suppose, this is a really simple problem, isn't it? There is a straight line solution. The roofs are in a state. They need replacing. You move the kids out. You fix the roofs. How is it that the Tories are struggling with this? Because they printed money in the pandemic. They can just make the money appear for schools if they wanted to. And they could also off, write it off. They say that we've created so many more jobs. Right. It's it's good news in a way. Why don't they just do it? The, because, because we have talked, you've talked, a variety of our colleagues have talked on this show about the government's primary focus, which is self-interest. And we know that with PPE contracts, we know that with a variety of questionable investments, shall we say, for want of a better term. Um, and we know that from the many areas of our society that have fallen to rack and ruin under this administration. <laughs> See what you did there? Rack and ruin. Nice. <laughs> move, move. You didn't even know you'd done it, had you? Oh, there you go. Yeah. Well, I'm here all week. Um, <laughs> Sorry, uh, let's your The problem has been there for all to see for quite some time. The DfE, Department for Education, I think they said in uh, at the end of August that there were 30 out of 147 schools disrupted, 19 delaying the start of term. I was trying to think while you were speaking, you know, Susie, what would I prefer? We work, I work, you work. Um, you can see shirt and tie. I'm going to back, back to go into the office. Um, but would I prefer my kids to work at home uh, with all of the, 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 the negative aspects that come with that? You know, you're missing social interaction. You're, you're, you're not with your friends, you're not in an environment where if you have any needs that need to be catered for, that can happen immediately. Or would I prefer them to be in, an, in a dangerous environment at school with this risk of aerated uh, concrete, with this risk that the, the environment is thought to be safe? Because if something, God forbid, negative were to happen, we would all be having conversations around how could this happen? What lessons can we learn? Whereas we have the facts in front of us in plain sight. Why is it that we can't address this on a, on, on a far more expedient basis? And RAC has been known about for years, of course, just because the Tories just sort of announced it at the end of the summer holidays doesn't mean that's when it happened. It's been going on for a long, long time. Mm and not been funded properly for a long, long time. And if school were to have a roof collapse, you know, this week, it's Rishi Sunak that would get the carry the can for that because he was Chancellor when these things were not being done. Mike says it's easy to see a huge school re rebuilding project being announced in time for the next general election, probably the spring budget. He could announce it in the autumn statement as well. It's usually a bit of a, a smaller thing to do, um, but it's, you know, it could easily be done. But can they, can the schools really wait? Until spring, and then uh, not only that, if you not only that. Then it takes years to happen. Exactly, you and I both know that even if it were to be announced, 
it would be it I, i'm thinking you know it comes to mind straight away hs2 yeah you know, <laughs> it's easy to announce something that you may never see so that you can attract the support of the public whose kids are affected by it but the facts are this the government has a long track record of promising things it simply can't deliver and so I don't think even the announcement, I mean, I do admire Mike's uh, optimism, although I, I kind of wonder whether there's a tinge of cynicism in what he said as well, uh, and justifiably so. I can't see a situation where anybody believes what this government says around this problem. No, that's the trouble, isn't it? It's one of those things as well, I think, and I think Mike's probably right, is that there are a lot of announcements coming out of the government at the moment about things that they will do. For example, two billion pounds of funding commitment to the NHS that isn't actually backed up by any maths. There's no yeah. sums of money for it. Uh, HS2, not just stopping it, but actually, you know, um, making it impossible to start again. And this kind of thing, they could announce a big schools rebuilding project that will cost billions, sound very macho, and then Labour's got what the, the opportunity to either find billions and borrow to do it or cancel a school rebuilding project, mm. find the billions for the NHS or raise taxes or cancel or start cutting the NHS. They, these are things which is basically, you know, uh, Sunak sowing the earth with salt on his way out the door to make it more difficult for Starmer. I feel pretty bad. For, I feel bad for the country because we're all suffering as a result of basically what's politics. It's party politics that's being played here. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the problems that I'll just point out before we move on to good news, which we'll do next, but um, <clears throat> one of the, the things is the school in the, in the pieces mentioned that it's costing a million pounds a year just for one school to have some temporary classrooms. Now, those temporary classrooms won't arrive until March for the work that will actually to replace the roof of the school, which will cost 420 grand. Now, that triples the cost of the actual problem. School may not even be as it, it was by the time you get to the end of it. And of course, if you then decide you want to rebuild the whole school anyway, that's going to cost you millions, millions more. And those kids will have to go somewhere else for like five years while that's being done. Um, and so for, this, for the sake of some macho political posturing, we're going to rebuild all the schools. Yeah. You could just fix the roof for 400 grand and they'd be back in it next term. Right. Not an issue. But this is just it just beggars belief to me that the Conservative Party, whether you vote for them or, or don't, they have a reputation for financial probity. It is filled with people who have made themselves rich by counting all the pennies very, very carefully. And it beggars belief that they have been so profligate, so wasteful, so short sighted with other people's money to behave in this way. Kelly says the competence means nothing to these people. It damn well should. It's the whole point of the Conservative Party is they're supposed to be competent and good with money, and they're not. Julie says, I can't believe anything they say about everything. They say they'll promise. Well, they just promise stuff, Julie, and then they're going to leave Keir Starmer with the bill. It's a bit like going into a restaurant and saying, everyone can have lobster, and then running off and leaving Keir Starmer as the only person at the table with a wallet. And whether he's got the cash or not, suddenly he has to pay for 60 million lobsters, doesn't he? Anyway, um, we do have some good news in the world. We have managed to find something for you. It's about my beloved nuclear test veterans. And here it is. Now, a year ago, the Mirror won our four-year campaign to get a medal for the nuclear veterans. And on the very day of the announcement, I personally told a senior civil servant from the Cabinet Office that they needed a ceremony to get it from the King himself. 
and the, the face that was pulled at me, I won't repeat here. A week later, I said the exact same thing in a private meeting with a cabinet minister. That was a year ago. In the year since, that medal's been delayed and slowed down, but it's finally now being delivered, but by the postman. And while the king let it be known he wanted to do such a ceremony, one has not been arranged. The latest news is that there is going to be a 90-minute reception, 90 minutes, um, at the end of November, but no one's being told who's there, what's happening, what the format is, or whether it's really worth them going. And a lot of veterans say they're going to turn down the invite because they can't travel. They, they don't really know if it's worth going. Now, one veteran decided to take matters into his own hands a couple of months ago. Gordon Coggan um, from Doncaster wrote to his local Lord Lieutenant, the King's local representative, of course, in the Shires, asking for a ceremony. And this he agreed. And last week, the Deputy Lord Lieutenant of South Yorkshire invited Gordon uh, and uh, mate of his, Eric Barton, to Mansion House in Doncaster for a brief presentation. There they are. Eric on the right served at um, the nuclear tests at Christmas Island uh, under Operation Dominic, the US tests. And Gordon, who's a chap without any hair there, he served at British test Operation Grapple in 1958, the same place. Uh, Eric has had compensation from the Americans because they ran the test. Gordon has had nothing but the medal. Um, so Darren, it has happened finally, in a way, with as many bells and whistles and pomp and circumstance as you can, as could be arranged, the king's man did it, if not the king himself. Is this proof? Do you think that you know, if you want something, you deserve and you work at it hard enough, you you can get it if you put your back into it. I suppose, as long as you don't well, ask the talk to do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want the guys to just put the graphic up again, if if that's okay, because I I, I just want to um have a look at no not the the actual clipping the the news piece uh from uh today's paper that's the one thank you guys behind the scenes um do a great job uh because for once this is you getting the credit you deserve um and because you've been across this for a long long time and as journalists we know that sometimes it can be soul destroying it can be just crushing to be in a situation where the fight for justice that you're pushing for is so obvious, but you find so many doors being closed, so many people making those faces you described earlier at you, so many people not wanting to do the right thing. Um, and the massive thing about this, on the one hand, it's about the medals, but the most important thing it says about the test veterans being seen, getting the recognition that they deserve, um, being respected, it's about a group of guys who who fought for their country, uh, who who gave their service to their country, being treated with the respect uh, that they that they deserve, and and it's to Downing Streets and the politicians' shame that you have had to fight. What is it? Four years now that you've had to fight across this. Um, so I do want our viewers to recognise your work around this. I do want to ask you, you know. How satisfying is it for you to get to this point after so long working on it and finding that lack of will from people who could have used their influence to help you a long time ago and didn't? It's not, <laughs> it's not about recognition for me at all. It's about 
the veterans and like you say making sure that they're heard and that they are seen and witnessed and the great thing is that picture that we had there the deputy lord lieutenant of south yorkshire you know he's covered in gold braid he's got seven i think it is medals on mm. his chest uh, not all of them campaign medals some of them are i think he's got bars on some of those as well some of them are commemorative medals and to have someone who is highly decorated and you know approved of by the state as it were giving these guys the recognition they deserve is the really the moment there's a picture on my door if i turn my camera up up here this is eric at the medal announcement and uh, this is kind of iconic photograph from the announcement where eric he'd been um shaking hands with lots of people dignitaries and so on who'd come past and he just the, the nth one that came through he just kind of he was so emotional he just sort of had a little bit of a weep and she put her arms around and gave him a hug which is the normal natural thing to do but the reason this is iconic is that that is, a, is an air vice marshal She's covered in gold braid, right? She's got big loops of it around her arms and stuff. And she's putting her arms around a test veteran to comfort them. And it's that, it's that image of the state hugging someone who has suffered a long time. Eric is a cancer survivor. He's had compensation for the Americans, but not his own government. To have that is the is the real thing. And it's utterly intangible. And a medal doesn't mean very much, but it's that. It's the recognition. Mm it's the seeing that matters and that's why it's great that the lord lieutenants are doing this and that is also why they wanted the king to do it of course and it's also mm. i suspect why the king has not actually done it um because he can only do what he's asked to do he can only do what he can fit into his diary and if either he's not asked or he's asked too damn late then it doesn't get to happen does it uh, susan i'm not going to read that out thank you very much. yes i'll read it i'll read it without susie and the mirror we wouldn't be where we are we thank you and rightly so. And and, and I, I listen. I clearly I don't want to be here embarrassing you, but this is why we do what we do. This is why you are where you are because in in, in the whole ethos of the Daily Mirror is to give a voice to the people who don't have a voice or the influence or the ability to knock on doors or the indefatigability to keep knocking on those doors when they've been let down in terms of pushing for action again and again and again and this is not just about a group of nice guys as we've been seeing in the pictures this is about our fathers our grandfathers the people who matter the most to us who mattered most to this country actually being seen as i've said and there have been times when other journalists i think would have given up and thought well there's nowhere to go with this but you've kept going and so i do want to on this one rare occasion susie embarrass you a bit and say thank you absolutely thank you because i think a lot of people will agree that you've done a fantastic job it's been a pleasure i think most people who've ever been on the the bad end of boniface would tell you that she doesn't <laughs> and she's got a vengeful streak about a mile wide so at least i'm using it for the sake of someone else rather than just to make myself feel better with ex-husbands or something but if anyone if you anyone is interested those veterans are still fighting for the truth in terms of their medical records which are being illegally and unlawfully withheld by the ministry of defense if you want to support them you too can get a nuked blood scandal badge you can get nuked blood scandal t-shirts and merchandise the profits of which all go to fund their legal case against the government go to labrats.international go to their shop and you can buy it and support it too Thank you very much, Darren, for um, 
everything you've said today and helping us through all this. Thank you, everyone, for taking part. Thank you to the Deputy Lord Lieutenant of South Yorkshire, who has done what the politicians will not do. Uh, and let's hope that that reception and the reason that we can't hear any more about what's happening there yet is because there is going to be a royal and they can't tell us for security reasons. Let's hope it's that. Let's hope. Um, <laughs> although I suspect if that was the case, I would get up. <clears throat> we can't tell you for security reasons. But I haven't had them yet. In fact, weren't even invited. NFI, Darren. NFI! NFI. Nuclear medal reception. But anyway, um, let's hope that it all goes ahead and it goes ahead as well as it can do for the veterans who can make it and who want to be there. Thank you, Darren, for taking part. Thank you, everyone. And we will see you again on Wednesday for another edition of the News Agenda Explains. Till then, tatty bye. Stay safe. Keep dry. <laughs> <laughs>